Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Hey church, it's great to be with you on this Lord's Day, on this Sunday. Obviously, I look a little different than I normally do in our online church gathering. I'm actually in my home office on Saturday. We typically record the messages for the online gathering on Thursdays, and this week was no different. But on Saturday morning, I woke up, and with the increased um, evacuations uh, in our community, with the increased danger and threat and fear of fire uh, in our community, uh, the Lord just put a different word and message upon uh, my heart. I realized that most of the church will stay home this Sunday, the air quality being what it is, and then, of course, all of the chaos uh, and upheaval that your lives, many of you, are going through right now as, at the very least, you help people who uh, have had to evacuate or have had to evacuate uh, yourself. So I know that this is an inconvenient moment to gather on the church grounds. Not only that, but the air quality is very poor. I myself am at the church uh, this morning uh, teaching this same message and just trying to be there for anyone who needs prayer, the word, encouragement, uh, because these are perilous times that we are in. I'm sure many of you have felt like 2020 just keeps unfolding in terrible ways. What is going to be next? And uh, it can feel overwhelming at times. And of course, right now, many of you are, I'm sure, concerned about uh, not only the potential of loss of life or lack of health, uh, but now, on top of all of that, there's the concern for our homes, our community, people that we know and love. And uh, so our prayers are, of course, with our community. And I, I just want to say that <clears throat> as a pastor of Calvary Monterey, I'm so encouraged by what I've watched, witnessed, seen this last week in so many of your lives. I've seen selflessness, I've seen care, I've seen mutual love and respect, people reaching out to one another. This is the kind of time where it uh, really makes so much sense why a person would pour themselves into the body of Christ and connecting with the body of Christ because those pre-existing relationships are paying big dividends in a time like this because we desperately need the Lord, but we're also not islands. We need the Lord through each other, ministering to one another. And I've heard so many incredible stories of sacrifice and grace and people serving each other, opening homes to each other, connecting with each other during this time. And I just want to say that I'm so thankful for that, so grateful for that, so proud of you for that. This is a great time for the church to be the church. And uh, so let's continue on in that theme. Let's continue ministering to others, ministering to our 
community and being those people that God has asked us to be. And with that, I'd like to share from you a brief message from Acts chapter 27 today. Acts chapter 27. Here in the book of Acts, uh, Paul is at a place in life where it seems as if one thing after another, one trial after another, one negative piece of news after another has piled upon his life now for a number of years. This man, of course, was God's called man. He was chosen by the Lord to be an instrument to turn people who did not know God into the light, to help them know the glorious gospel. He would be a man who preached to kings, preached to the nations, and even preached to his own countrymen. Now, a moment came in Paul's life where because he got the opportunity to preach to his own countrymen, he actually was imprisoned. He went to the temple one day with some fellow believers. A rumor began to spread about him that he was defiling the temple. And people began to riot around him. The Roman soldiers that were there rescued his life, gave him then an opportunity to preach to the masses that had gathered. And he shared his testimony. But when he said that God had sent him to the Gentiles, uh, that crowd, that Jewish crowd, could not conceive of the God of Israel breaking out into and among the nations. And they began to lose their minds. And so Paul was then brought into prison, first there in Jerusalem, and then for his own safety, he was transported up to the coastal city of Caesarea, where he was under watch for over two years, two years uh, in a jail cell for preaching the gospel. And case after case was brought against him, trial after trial, he endured. And over and over again, they just delayed the decision. I'm sure at moments... It felt like this is going on forever. This is never going to stop. This is just a constant drip of trial after trial after trial. Finally, the moment came in Paul's life where in one of his trials, he exercised his right as a Roman citizen to appeal to Caesar directly to Caesar. They figured out a charge to attach to him to bring to Caesar. And that's when he got onto a boat uh, uh, with some Roman soldiers and officials who were responsible for bringing Paul to his place of imprisonment. Now, the boat was not a mere uh, vehicle for prisoner transport. It was also used for other things. There were other passengers. There was cargo Paul was just one of a small number, one of 276 people that were on this particular boat. So with that, let's read this story. It says, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. In embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus 
a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us, and we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. We came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, and as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Now, all throughout this passage, there's all kinds of geography uh, that is mentioned. Uh, basically, what you need to know is that Paul has left the coast of Israel, the northern coast of Israel, Caesarea, and he is now on his way to Italy by a number of different boats and in different routes to get to their desired destination. The centurion that he was with, a man named Julius, uh, he has a responsibility to just find the most direct course, find that boat, pay the fare, get on it and go. And so here a couple of boats later, they have come to this place called Fair Havens, which was the city uh, near the city of Lycia. Now, verse 9, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, the island, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. So there they are in Fair Havens. And Paul, notice it, he has some kind of inside information. He perceives, he says in verse 10, and he reports it to the centurion. He said, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of cargo and the ship, but also of our own lives. In other words, he's pleading with them, let's stay here in this particular harbor. But the harbor that they were in was not ideal for wintering. So the crew, the majority, made a decision. The centurion, it says, paid more attention to uh, the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And the majority decided that they would move on and try to make it to Phoenix, a harbor uh, on the island of Crete, because that would be a more ideal place to spend the perilous months of the winter in. Now, on one hand, it makes perfect sense that the centurion, <clears throat> that the pilot, that uh, the uh, crew of the ship would confer with one another and ignore the uh, word of Paul. I mean, you have to put yourself in their shoes, so to speak. Uh, here's Paul. 
a man who is a prisoner because of religious charges that have brought against him. He's our beloved Paul the Apostle. I mean, by this time, now 2,000 years later, we know and love and respect this man. If somehow he appeared today and told you to invest a certain amount of money in such and such a stock, you might even say to yourself, well, this doesn't really seem like his area of expertise, but he's Paul the Apostle. I I think I might just take a shot here. Uh, But at this point, these people don't have that level of respect for Paul. They don't understand him in that kind of way. So they confer with each other. The majority, it says, decided, and they pay more attention to the experts rather than to the word of Paul in that particular moment. And the reason I'm drawing this out is partly because this is going to change as they go through a terrible storm. Through the storm, as Paul is encouraged by God, and as they are discouraged because of the trials they're facing, Paul's voice is going to increase in influence. And one of the reasons I'm bringing that out is because when the world passes through trials, like so many of us are in today, God's people go right through so many of those trials with the world that they're living in. Paul was on that boat with everybody else. Luke was there. That's why he keeps saying we, we, we. He's the author of the book of Acts, and he was there for this portion of the journey. And they went right through that difficulty with every non-believer that was on that boat. But as they passed through the trial, like everyone else, as they went through the tragedy that this broken, winding down, corrupted world had to offer them, as they went through all of that, Paul the Apostle, the man of God, as he was comforted by God, as he was encouraged by God, as he was ministered to by God in the midst of this difficulty and trial, his voice became not only clearer and clearer, but more and more influential as the trial and tragedy went on. And I believe that in the trial, there is an opportunity for God's children. You know, we're trying to endure the trial for one, aren't we? We're just trying to get through this COVID madness. We're trying to get through the threat of wildfire. We're trying to get through economic calamity. On one hand, we're just like everyone else trying to get through. But on the other hand, we have a resource in and from and and of God that is so special where perhaps your voice ignored previously like Paul's will over time be heard, respected, revered because uh, in a sense of the way that you are enduring through the trial. You see, as believers, we have help and aid that uh, so many of our neighbors do not have. Uh, We have the Spirit of God. We have 
the word of God. We have the outlet of prayer. We can cry out to God and plead with him for mercy. And as he gets us through, and as he stands with us, we then have the opportunity to be a blessing to the people around us. So that was Paul. He This story starts out with no one really wanting to hear what he had to say, but at the end of this story, he's going to be the man who's in charge, really, of this boat. They will respect his word uh, by the end of this story. Now, verse 13, let's go on in the story. It says, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called a northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. <clears throat> running, under, running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, the sands off north uh, coast of Africa, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was last abandoned. This is a terrible moment in the story. It's ominous in every way. Really, what's described there is an attempt in nautical terms in every direction. They exhausted almost all of their resources, tried to go every way possible in the midst of this massive storm that they were caught in because they ignored Paul's advice. And after a period of many days without seeing the, the stars or the sun, so they lost their direction, their, their bearings. They did not know really where they were or what direction they were headed in. And no small storm laid upon them. Paul says, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. <clears throat> All hope abandoned. Listen, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today. Yeah, I know we're in a time right now on the Monterey Peninsula where it's hard to see the sun and it's impossible to see the stars because of the smoke that has covered our community. But for them, what this meant was a, a loss of direction. It was disorienting. Uh, they couldn't gain their bearings by looking to the skies any longer. What they could normally trust in, even when all hope was lost, was to look and to find their bearings because of the stars. They could navigate in that way. But here, they have no tools with which to navigate. They don't 
know what to do. They don't know what direction they're headed in. And, and they really honestly feel that they are being carried along without any say in the matter. They have no control whatsoever. And what happened was that hope, it sunk to a complete low where all hope, he says, of being saved was at last abandoned. These are people who have given up. These are people who fear, feel so despairing that they just sense within their hearts, there's nothing that we can do. There's no direction that we can go. All hope was abandoned. But you know, it's in this moment that God is really going to begin to use Paul's life. But before I point you in that direction, I just want to speak to you for a moment. I, I know that for many of you, this last year has felt like the trial of all trials. I, I know for some of you, life has continued on in a fairly normal way. I know that for some of you, this hasn't uh, taken you, uh, you know, it's not that you expected it, but you're not taken off guard. You're just continuing on. Life isn't all that different. But I know for some of you, it has felt like you have lost any ability to navigate whatsoever. You feel directionless. You feel that you're being carried along by the winds and waves and whatever decision the school districts make, you're at the mercy of it. Whatever decision the governing authorities make, you're at the decision of it. And now evacuations and evacuation warnings, you just feel that you're at the mercy of it and you feel completely out of control. You'd love to put on a firefighter suit and go out there and do something to combat the flames, but it just feels like you are completely out of control, that you just have no direction, no bearings, and you just have to sit back and wait and watch to see what unfolds. But I want to remind you, if you're a believer today, you're a child of God. You have the Lord. And though you can't see the sun or the stars, though you don't know the direction that you're heading in, though you don't know what's going to unfold tomorrow, God does. God has a direction for each one of you. God has a plan for each one of your lives. And he is working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's so hard for us to see this at times. We can't see what's going to happen. We can't see what will occur. And in those moments, so often our hope is lost. But what I want to remind you of today is that God is not hopeless. God sees this broken and fallen and chaotic world. He stepped into this broken and fallen and chaotic world. And he died on the cross so that we could escape brokenness and fallenness and chaos in his kingdom forever in glory. And he, he has a plan. He has a purpose. Keep pressing into him. Keep crying out to him. Keep emoting to him and laying your cares and burdens and concerns out before him. Because even when your hope is lost, God, he is working. He is moving. Do not, do not lose your hope in the Lord in this moment because he is faithful.
All right, let's see what happens next. It says in verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Now, Paul is not an I told you so kind of guy. That's not what he's doing here when he says, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. He's not trying to rub it in, but he's trying to draw out that he was a man that was led by the Lord. He had insight that other people did not have because he was sensitive to the spirit. And when they were back in Fair Havens, he had a sense from the spirit that they should not go on. Uh, he, though, couldn't explain it. They didn't want to listen to him, but he had that sense. And he wanted to remind them of that so that they, that they would understand that he was a man of the word. He was a man of God and that he had a sense from the Lord in these matters. He was right before he is saying, so perhaps he's right again. And the second thing that he tells them is full of encouragement. First, the word notice from God, from the angel of the Lord in the middle of that storm is direct to Paul. It concerns not the group at first, but Paul originally. And the word for Paul was, Paul, you, you will go to speak before Caesar. You will make it to Italy. You will go to Rome. That was the first word that Paul received. And this would be a great encouragement to Paul to know that he was going to testify not just of his own life and make a self-defense. He was not concerned about exercising his rights or something like that. What he wanted to do was testify of Jesus to Caesar. But God also then said, God has granted to you all those who sail with you. That's where the encouragement would have come to all of those on the boat. Paul is going to live. Paul is going to make it. Paul is going to survive. And because he will survive, so will we. Listen, when you look at the times that the Lord stood with Paul and ministered to him directly, so often, God's direct encouragements to his heart, those moments in the book of Acts and in Paul's epistles where Paul sensed God ministering to his heart in a special, unique way, those moments happened when Paul was at various low points in his life and ministry. Here in the middle of this storm where all hope is lost, the Lord shows up. When Paul was in Corinth, and fearing for his life and considering quitting the ministry in Corinth, the Lord spoke up and said, Paul, do not be afraid. I have many people in this city. Uh, when Paul had his dream of preaching 
to his countrymen in Jerusalem and seeing a revival, a breakout of the spirit occur through his words. And when he finally got to preach in Jerusalem and they rejected his words and he was imprisoned and then beaten, the Lord spoke to him and said, Paul, just as you've testified of me in Jerusalem, so you will also testify of me in Rome. And as Paul closed out the final letter that he wrote, Second Timothy, he said, when all forsook me, Timothy, the Lord stood with me. The enemy was trying to devour me, but the Lord stood with me. Brothers and sisters, when we go through storms and trials and great difficulty, you know this from experience. These are some of the opportunities for God to speak his clearest, most life-altering, life-defining, directional words into our lives. You know, I found that brothers and sisters in Christ can live off of one strong word from the Lord for decades, in a sense. I know for me, when I sensed a call to teach the word, I draw upon that directional, influential word of wisdom from the Lord uh, so often. And in various moments of discouragement and doubt and hopelessness, I've heard the Lord's ministry to my heart in ways that would have been impossible to hear when times were good. So here's Paul there on the boat. It seems like they're all going to die. And God is just ministering to his heart. God is just speaking to him and encouraging him in powerful ways. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, wants to minister to us in special ways during times of calamity. So Paul is encouraged and he tells everyone else of how he's been encouraged, how God has ministered to his heart. Let's close out the story and see what happens next. It says, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding and again found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape the ship and had lowered the boats, the ship's boat, the, you know, sort of the life raft kind of boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So in other words, Paul had insight here that these sailors were trying to escape. And Paul knew that would jeopardize everybody else that was on the boat. So he warns the centurion, look, if these sailors are able to escape, we're all going to die. So you need to deal with this. So they go and they cut away that little life raft so that the sailors cannot escape. But notice how they're beginning to listen to Paul's words, beginning to listen to Paul's counsel in a way that they didn't at the beginning of this story. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all, verse 32, to take some food, saying, 
Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons on the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, and at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. And the bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. The last thing I want you to see here in this passage is the way that Paul went from prisoner to pastor of that entire ship. You know, by the end, he's telling everyone words of encouragement. He's encouraging them to eat food. He's giving direction for what must be done in order to save life. And by the end, the centurion is so thankful that he actually stands up in defense of Paul's life and of the life of other prisoners that were with Paul. And Luke went so far as to count all of the passengers that were aboard. He says all 276 persons on the ship were spared. You see, through trial, through tragedy, through difficulty, God will open up opportunities for his people to be a blessing to the people in their boat, every last one of them. And so who is God put in your boat? Who does the Lord want you during times of tragedy to minister to? I find that one of the most helpful things to do when trials abound is to set my eyes upon the Lord and to set my eyes upon others. And as I do, the Lord will use my life. And as you do, the Lord will use your life to care for the people who are going through the trials and difficulties that this broken world throws at them. Church, I love you. I'm praying for you. I pray that your life will be safe, that your property will be safe. We will endure. We will get through these terrible and perilous times. May God bless you and keep you and watch over you this week. God bless you, church. See you soon. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.